Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. When you anticipate something big, do you tend to stop everything else? That's normal but it's not how Christians should await Christ's return. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers what God's Word means when it instructs believers to be diligent. With so much work to be done for the kingdom, Christians can't sit idly by. To introduce today's message, Stay Challenged, here's David. Thank you for joining us today. This is the beginning of a two-day discussion on the subject of diligence. It's called Stay Challenged. And friends, I want to tell you about some cards we've created for this series. For all of these various lessons that we're learning in this series, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, we've created a card. There's 10 of them. And the card is kind of like the cliff notes of the message. So I'm just going to read to you the card for today's message, Stay Challenged. Here's the little paragraph that's on the card. In sports, the arts, and all of life, the road to success is paved with diligence. Strenuous effort produces far more than talent alone can do. This applies to our Christian walk, too. Half-hearted attempts have no place in the life of Christians as we await Christ's return. You need not sit idle. God wants us to grow and know Him more. So don't stop the good things you're doing. Work even harder. And if you stay challenged to learn more, grow in grace, and be more effective for the kingdom, the world will have difficulty distracting you from your eternal hope. And here's the verse. Therefore, beloved brethren, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. 2 Peter 3.14. If you'd like to have these cards, they will help you remember what we're talking about every day. There's 10 of them. They come in a little packet, and they're free. All you got to do is ask for them. There's no expectation on our part that you do anything except make your request. However you would do that, um, through our email system, uh, through the phone, through writing us, just let us know you want the cards. They're called Unshakable Confidence. And you can have these Unshakable Confidence cards just for the asking. Now let's get started with the first part of this lesson. What does it mean to stay challenged? We are continuing the series of living with confidence in a chaotic world. We started with the importance of staying calm. And then we talked about staying compassionate. And the last time we were together, we talked about staying constructive And now today, I want to talk with you about the fourth principle in this series, and that is stay challenged. Stay challenged. On April 16, 2007, when a heavily armed, deranged student 
entered the classroom buildings on the Virginia Tech campus and began randomly killing and wounding students and staff, Dr. Labrescu was teaching a class of around 20 students. As soon as it became obvious that the shooter might target his classroom, the 76-year-old professor immediately threw himself against the inside of the classroom door and instructed his students to flee out the windows to safety. One of the last students to exit the classroom remembers seeing the professor leaning against the door and then falling, fatally wounded by bullets that came through the door and ended his life. All 20 of his students, some with broken legs from the two-story fall, survived the incident. And we have to ask ourselves this question. What would make someone sacrifice himself for the sake of others? For Livio Labrescu, it was the culmination of a life of overcoming challenges and remaining diligent to the end. After the attack, a student summarized his professor's actions. He said, it's one of those things where every little thing you can do can save somebody's life. I tell this story for a reason. And that reason is really expressed by Dr. Labrescu's friend, the department head where he served. He said, Professor Labrescu was an extremely tolerant man who mentored scholars from all over our troubled world. The professor was no stranger to trouble, but he wasn't intimidated by it either. From childhood, his commitment to living for others created peace in our troubled world. Christians live in that same world, and we are called by God to take up our cross and march into the trouble for the sake of Christ, not knowing but that one little thing we might do will save someone's life, not only for time, but for eternity. Learning to live an exceptional life, a life of sacrifice and diligence, generous commitment, that's a process that never ends, and often a process that begins in times of difficulty and challenge and chaos like the ones we're experiencing right now. I'd like to share with you some words from the Apostle Peter that will clue us in on the importance of living this kind of life. These words are found in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, and they read like this, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blemish. Of course, throughout this series, this has all been about the return of Christ and what we're supposed to be doing while we wait. And it isn't the first time that Peter has used the word diligence. In fact, back in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. The message that he gives to us in this passage in 2 Peter is the message for this day, the importance of staying challenged and staying diligent in what we're doing, not only in life, but especially for Christ in these very uncertain days. You see, our tendency, men and women, is when we come to times like this is to just back down, to chill out, if you will, and to say, when this is over, I'll get back to the business of living. But when we do that, we miss the opportunity that God has given us, not only to make a difference in the world where we live, but to make a difference in the world of our own life, to use the challenges to be challenged ourselves. And that's the message I want to share with you today. 
First of all, this word diligent, oh, it's an incredible word. It's a word that we don't talk about very much and we don't live very much either. But let me tell you what it's all about by beginning with this whole idea of the purpose of diligence. At the beginning of Second Peter, in the first chapter of this book, we catch a glimpse of how diligence fits into Peter's overall theme. Listen to what he says in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, you may need to read that paragraph over and slower than I read it. But as you do, you will notice two things. Peter offers two focal points in this passage. First, there is this astonishing idea that every follower of Jesus Christ has been given everything that he needs for life and godliness. Not some things, not even most things, but everything. Have you ever thought about the fact that as a Christian, you have everything you need and The second focal point of Peter's message is to tell us where all of that is. Where can we find these things we need? Peter says they have been given to us through the exceedingly great and precious promises of the word of God. Now that means, men and women, that your Bible and mine is a full utility kit for everything we need to live with confidence in this chaotic world. There's nothing tangible in life that is as wonderful and complete as the written word of God. In between the covers of this book, from Genesis to Revelation, we have everything God wants us to have, everything that we need to be productive Christians. But I want to just stop for a moment and say that you can be a lover of the word of God and not get the impact of Peter's message. It's possible to become so enamored of the Bible that we forget the fact that we need to interact with this book. It's not enough to say what a beautiful leather Bible I have and then promptly stick it away on the shelf or under the car seat. No, the Bible is not a book to be admired. It is a book that we're to study. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Some Christians hear that and they think that they can sit back and relax They tend to miss the verse that came right before it, which says, with fear and trembling, we're to work out our own salvation. That doesn't sound very relaxing to me, and I can promise you it's not. We do need to be careful how we speak of working out our salvation, of course, because that doesn't mean we can earn our salvation. Only the blood of Christ can do that. In terms of the true reconciling work of forgiveness, we don't have any part in that, but we are to work out what God has worked in. I call that little program the divine cooperative. The gift is delivered to us through the work of God, and then we take that gift and we practice due diligence in working to perfect ourselves as followers of Christ. Isn't that how we look upon all gifts? If someone gives you a nice shirt for your birthday, it's up to you to wear it. If you receive a book, you're the one that has to read it. We're the recipients, but we have to act on what we have been given or the gift is wasted on us. 
I have two sons, as most of you know, who have been gifted athletically, and I often told them when they were growing up that their ability was God's gift to them, but what they did with it was their gift to God. We receive gifts from the Holy Spirit. I hope you have a firm grasp on what your spiritual gift is, that you intentionally use it rather than tucking it away or maybe admiring it on occasion. We have the gift in hand. We have been provided with this wonderful gift. This is all we need for life and godliness. These are the precious promises of the word of God. Here in this book, we have God's wonderful gift to us. But Peter wants us to understand that once we get the gift, there's certain diligence that's demanded of us if we're going to realize the benefit of that which we have been given. We have been provided with everything we need. So I want you to understand that today our goal is to be diligent in taking that gift and making it all that it can be. What is the purpose of diligence? That little word that is the key to today's lesson. The purpose of diligence is to take what God has given us and then to use it for the purpose for which it was given. Whether it's the word of God, our giftedness, our abilities, God has given us a gift. And my question to you today, and especially today in the midst of the chaos in which we find ourselves, is are you being diligent to use what God has given you for the purpose for which it was given, the purpose of diligence. Let me speak with you now about the prerequisite of diligence. Look again in your Bibles, and you will notice that in this section of Peter, there is a list, a list of seven things, things that were to do, things were to add. But notice the list begins with one word, and it's the word faith. Faith is always the prerequisite for our diligence. Peter begins right there, telling us in verse 5 what to add to our faith. And the list of add-ons follows, but the steam engine that pulls the whole train is faith. Without faith, we're going nowhere. You see, faith is the lowest common denominator in the mathematics of this passage. If you'll look at the passage carefully, you'll notice that grace and peace are multiplied in verse 2, and then there's a number of sums that are added in verses 5 through 7. And if you pay close attention, you'll notice that God does the multiplying and we do the adding. That's what you call divine mathematics, and that's the way it's supposed to work. So the prerequisite for your diligence in your Christian life is you must be a Christian. You must have faith. Faith is the beginning of the process. We accept Christ by faith. We are saved completely by God's grace. And we move forward from that point onward with due diligence to take what God has given us to the next level. So we have the purpose of diligence. What is it? To take the things that God has given us in his word and to use diligence to accomplish everything for which they were intended. And we have the prerequisite of diligence. You can't have the diligence of the Christian life if you don't have the Christian life. It begins with faith. Now notice thirdly, the principles of diligence. It's time to understand the meaning of the word that I believe is the key to our Christian life. What does it mean to be diligent. Now, so often as preachers, what we do is we give people some high and lofty principle. We talk about how wonderful it is, and we never tell them what it is. What does it mean to be diligent? So let me take the word apart. Let me go back to the the languages in which it was written, and let me describe for you what I believe this word was meant to convey to our souls. First of all, 
Diligence means, in the language of the New Testament, to strenuously give yourself to something. Strenuous is the key word, and it's a word that comes out of the realm of athletics. It is a demanding and sweat-producing word, if you will. It means to give all strenuous activity toward a goal. It comes from the athletic world of intense concentration on the goal of becoming a champion. Diligence is the picture of the sprinter who's coming around the bend toward the finish tape, exerting every muscle in his body, even when it seems like he has nothing left to give. He has practiced for months or years, working on every tiny characteristic of his motion. He has run countless miles, punishing his body toward faster finish times. And now as he runs the big race, he is even more focused. Just saying strenuous doesn't seem to do it for us, but when you see strenuous and you see it in action, you know. In fact, I remember seeing races where the veins in the neck of the person who was running popped out. They had forced themselves to give every last drop to the goal. That's the first part of what it means to be diligent, and we'll apply it in a moment. But secondly, the word has another meaning. There's a secondary meaning to the word diligent, and that's the word lavish, to give yourself to something lavishly. Understanding what it means is really key, and there's a great illustration of it. For instance, the word itself came from the background of the Greek plays. In the time of the Bible, when the Greeks would put on their plays, they would find patrons to support them. And these patrons would pay all the bills, and they would build all the props and the scenery. They'd get all the performers, and it became a very competitive thing among the patrons of the Greek plays. When friends would come to one play and see what that patron had done, they would try to outdo that patron in the next play. And it came to a place where it was so extravagant, there was no cost, there was no limit considerations. It is the word that we use when we talk about choreography today. It was everything to illustrate the wealth of the patron and to underwrite the cost of the play. Well, those two words, strenuous and lavish, combine together to help us understand what the word diligence means. So how do we apply that to our lives as Christians? It's almost so foreign from our actual practice that it's hard to make the application. Could you think for a moment of what would happen if you took all the precious promises, the exceedingly precious promises of this book, which God has given to you so that you can have everything you need for life and godliness, and you took all of those precious promises and with diligence you mined them. What is diligence? Strenuous, lavish activity. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is requiring too much for you to learn the principles of the Word of God. That's what diligence means. Diligence in the study of the Word of God and diligence in life. Now, Peter in Second Peter is giving us the key to all of this. He's saying to us that we're to, by diligence, take the things that God has given us and mine them and use them and grow them in our own lives. He's talking about laying a foundation of faith based upon what we know from the Word of God. 
He's telling us that there are times when God smiles on our response, when the world is treating us poorly, when our spirits are low, yet we pray anyway, we serve anyway, we open the Bible anyway, and God, we say, I'm not at my best today, but I am still yours, and I'm going to serve you with diligence with all of my heart. You can count on it when you do that, and you give God that kind of faith and diligence. His promises will be there for you. Someone has said, thank God that his promises don't fluctuate with our whims. Isn't that true? We can cling to those promises and find a powerful equilibrium for our life. I have to be the first one to tell you that when I get ready to preach, I go through a series of emotions. I don't know if I've ever explained this before, but like most communicators, I'm always putting myself in the shoes of my listeners. How's this going to sound to them? Uh, What if they hear this sermon and it drives them away from where I want them to go? There's always the temptation to give the people what they want, which may not be the same as what they need. Every preacher of the word struggles with this urge, but in the end, he knows that God has called him to be true to the Bible. He knows the terrible implications of conforming his message to the world. So rather than letting his message be transforming through the true word of Christ, he gives in to the pressure of the age. I get a sense of Peter having these same thoughts as he wrote the first chapter of his letter. Let me explain to you what I mean by reading 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Peter wrote, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Now, of course, you know Peter's tent is his body, his tattered human body that he knows is about to be gone. And he can't make small talk. He can't spend time telling people the feel-good messages that massage the ear. The situation is urgent, and he is already making arrangements to see that his words will outlive him. Peter is nothing if not strenuous and lavish in training his brothers and sisters in the faith. He is totally committed to it. There is nothing that's more important to him, and that's the way it ought to be for us as followers of Christ. Not normally, perhaps, but especially in these days, we cannot afford to let this fall away. The pressures of the age will take us away from such a commitment. And yet the Bible says that these pressures, these chaotic days, instead of taking us away, should drive us toward a deeper commitment to diligence in the Word of God. So we've seen the purpose of diligence in our lives, which is to take the Word of God that we have been given and diligently work it out in our own life. We've seen the prerequisite for it, which is our faith, And the principles of it are to be strenuous and lavish in living it out. Now, we have to take this little list that we find here in 2 Peter and take it quickly and go through and examine what it says. Because Peter offers us seven priorities of diligence. All of them are built upon the foundation called faith. Like many biblical lists, this one isn't exhaustive. There are other things that could be added to it. But I believe these seven things are special. They kind of form a basic matrix that we can use to build our Christian lives. These are seven elements you should look for when you're checking up on yourself periodically. And I'm going to take them one at a time and add them as we go along. Notice, first of all, it says to your faith add virtue, 2 Peter 1, 5. 
Do you know what virtue is? Virtue is courage. This is the New Testament word for moral goodness. Having the courage to do the right thing no matter what the circumstances might dictate. People with strong integrity are consistent from one situation to another. They act from their moral base rather than from consensus or popular opinion. This kind of virtue develops as we become diligent in the Word of God and begin to show the mind of Christ in our actions. Amen. A little period there, and we'll be back tomorrow with more on how to build diligence into your life. You know, uh, when you see that in the life of someone else, don't you admire it? I mean, they may not even be diligent about all the right things, but you see them following their goal and giving everything they have to the challenge in their life. That's the kind of life I want to live, and I know you feel the same way. The Bible tells us whatever we do, we're to do heartily is unto the Lord. That's what it means to be diligent. And uh, before I forget it, there's a book that goes with the series you're listening to. The book is called Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World. And um, the book answers a lot of questions like how to weather tumultuous times with a calm heart. What does it truly mean to wait on the Lord? What is Jesus saying to our chaotic world today? And can we take a broken world and rebuild it into something fruitful? These and many other questions are discussed as we talk about living in unsettled times, but not being unsettled ourselves. The book is yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of April. It's our privilege to return this book to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment in the worldwide ministry of Turning Point. And now have a wonderful day as you serve the Lord. Don't forget to join us tomorrow here on this good station as we continue our discussion of living with confidence in a chaotic world. I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World and start living with a greater certainty in these uncertain times. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue living with confidence in a chaotic world on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. 
Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca jsb.